This is WCNY's The Capital Press Room, and we're turning our attention to pharmacy benefit managers, or PBMs, middlemen in the prescription medication process, who've been operating for more than four decades as price negotiators with drug manufacturers and pharmacies. And while pharmacy benefit managers are designed to control costs, there's been growing scrutiny in recent years about the actual benefits they provide to the healthcare system, which has led to increased attention from state policymakers and state regulators, including newly proposed regulations from the State Department of Financial Services. To discuss those proposed regulations and more, we're joined by the department's Deputy Superintendent for Pharmacy Benefits, Eamon Rock. Welcome to the show, Eamon. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. So I touched on it briefly in the introduction, but can you expand on what pharmacy benefit managers actually do? For example, can you lay out, I guess, what would be the best case scenario as well as the potential downsides of PBMs? Yeah, I think it's important to look at it from a historical perspective. As you said, PBMs are not brand new to the healthcare space, but there have been significant changes in the business model recently, which have called the attention of policymakers and legislatures across the country, uh, and in particular here in, in New York as well. So a PBM began as a middleman between the pharmacy and the health plan. Why do they need that? They don't have that in any other kind of claim that they deal with, um, mainly because pharmacy claims uh, are particular and unique. They involve a lot of quick processing and technical capabilities, um, and they involve not just a couple of codes for various claims that are, are typical, um, but they can involve every drug under the sun. Um, and so as prescription benefits began to be um, very common and added to health insurance and, and health plans in general, the plans were looking for an entity that could perform this specialized function and um, that could create a network of pharmacies and process claims as fast as possible. And so that is where the PBM stepped in. They started as an administrator, uh, charging flat fees for each prescription that they adjudicated. And in other words, each claim that they processed and created those uh, pharmacy networks. They have grown since that time to doing a lot more. So as you mentioned, uh, negotiations of rebates with drug manufacturers has become a big point. Across the country, we've seen reactions to the idea of spread pricing, which is a model that PBMs have uh, used where they pay the pharmacies a particular price and they charge the health plans uh, a higher price and then they keep the difference. Um, and so in the best case scenario, what a PBM does is provide an adequate network to health plan participants, process claims accurately and quickly, um, provide information both to the consumer and to the health plan, and don't add significant costs uh, in the equation. In the worst case scenario, what we have is a, a complex web of interconnected, uh, technically different corporate structures uh, that do a a little bit of every task and take uh, profits from each step in the complex process that they have created uh, in order to profit. We're trying to find that, that happy medium here in New York uh, with the uh, market conduct rules that you mentioned, where we can allow PBMs to operate uh, appropriately and, and help that process along uh, in adjudicating those claims at the, at the pharmacy counter um, while avoiding unnecessary costs in the healthcare chain. 
So as an aside, Eamon, I just want to say that of five years of covering this issue, that was the best explainer I've ever heard of PBMs, because I think even until you finished talking, I don't think I had a good handle on what PBMs actually do. But now I feel super informed and ready just to knock out the rest of this interview. And to that end, it's my understanding that back in 2021, a state law was adopted giving your department the ability uh, to regulate PBMs. So generally speaking, what has that responsibility consisted of over the last year plus prior to the issuing of the new draft regulations this summer? Yeah, so we did get that legislation signed into law back in 2021. Um, but our department, uh, the, the journey of our department to that legislation started a, a few years before that even, where we proposed as part of the executive budget, a licensure regime uh, for PBMs, similar to how we regulate insurance companies or banks as the um, financial services regulator for the state. Over time, some slight changes were made across the way, um, but the idea has remained the same, um, that what is necessary uh, is to have a regulator who is on the ground, able to adapt to the ever-changing environment uh, that PBMs operate in and create, um, rather than just having things prohibited in statute, which we all know can take significant amounts of time. We needed to have that flexibility of a supervisor truly looking over uh, the industry, being able to adapt more quickly with guidance, sub-regulatory guidance and regulations. Um, and so that's the system that, that we created. In the legislation, we had a two-step process, which is something that DFS proposed and which the legislature kept, um, where we would register PBMs. Um, that registration took place in June of last year. And during a, a period of uh, registration, we would collect information. And um, we've done that over the last uh, year and year plus with um, seven different uh, requests for public comment on various areas of the PBM business and the impacts of those PBM businesses on consumers and pharmacies, in particular independent pharmacies. So in the last year since registration, we've collected that information, um, we've analyzed it, and we've put together uh, a few different now sets of regulations addressing um, all the major areas that the legislation required us to address, um, as well as collected complaints against PBMs who are uh, alleged to have violated uh, portions of the law that exist now. We address those complaints, which are usually coming from independent pharmacies uh, on a daily basis, often getting a resolution um, for the pharmacy uh, involved. Um, and we've collected two annual reports from PBMs uh, where we have collected the beginnings of the amounts of data we plan to collect from PBMs going forward to inform policymakers. Uh, so right now we have 67 PBMs who are registered uh, in New York, and we're looking forward to the end of the year when we have licensure. So that will be a separate application. Um, and all PBMs are required to be licensed in the state by January 1st of 2024. So under the existing framework, has the department had the ability to, for lack of a better word, intervene against bad actors or I guess, take other actions to control potential price increases? Or have your hands been essentially tied, at least up until this point with new regulations that you're looking to implement? 
So we've definitely taken actions um, on uh, against PBMs who have uh, had complaints filed against them by independent pharmacists about, for example, the reimbursement rates uh, or the what's called maximum allowable cost. That's a term of art that's used in the industry. Um, there are rules on the books in our public health law um, that require certain procedures when you have a MAC appeal. Um, and up until DFS uh, entered this arena, there was really no regulator in place to be able to enforce those rules. And so we have uh, you know, taken actions. Often the PBMs are uh, very responsive to um, our unit reaching out to say, it looks like something's amiss here and they take correct, corrective action. So um, we're very much, um, you know, working with whatever authority exists in statute right now uh, on those complaints, but we're very excited to put out the market conduct rules, which will enable us to uh, go further. They're the result of our looking at the industry, uh, doing research, analyzing data, and coming to um, this, this particular set of rules. And now we'll have uh, those rules on the books that we can also enforce. Well, yeah, moving forward, one of the proposals that the, your regulations is looking to advance would be a ban on so-called abusive contract terms to ensure that local pharmacies are paid uh, fairly. How do you go about determining what is fair? Is it in the eye of the pharmacies? Is it in the eye of the PBMs? How do you go about doing something like that? And what do you see as the potential impact of regulating these contracts? Yeah, so uh, up, up to now uh, in New York and, and up until very recently across the country, um, PBMs have operated in kind of a regulatory vacuum um, where everyone except the PBM is subject to strict regulations on their conduct. So for example, a PBM is an agent of a health plan. Uh, every health insurer in New York is licensed and subject to review of their rates and their filing, you know, their form filings. Um, the pharmacies are subject to licensure and review by the Board of Pharmacy, the DEA, the, uh, you know, the Department of Health. There's a whole range of, of uh, regulatory regimes that they've operated in. The only thing that hasn't been uh, regulated in that space has been the PBMs. And so what that's led to is uh, extremely onerous contracts um, that PBMs essentially impose on uh, pharmacies. In particular, when you have a um, industry such as the PBM industry that's dominated where 80% of the market share uh, is held by just three PBMs, um, if you're in a location or a locality where one of those PBMs in particular holds most of the business, uh, most of the health plans, if you lose that PBM, your business is no longer viable. And so we've heard it described as take it or leave it contracts, you know, uh, you know, being held over a barrel because there's nothing else that they can do. And, and so that has enabled PBMs to add in provisions that are extremely favorable to them, but serve no purpose other than to increase PBM profits. So in our rulemaking for, as a quick example, one of the things we're addressing is fees that PBMs charge to uh, independent pharmacists to just become part of the network. Um, and those 
fees are not uh, under one particular name or in one particular uh, scenario, they are kind of across the board and really hard to understand the purpose of them other than to just take in a few extra dollars. Another scenario is um, PBMs have the, the ultimate ability to decide which pharmacies are in or out of the network. Um, you know, obviously, like I said, you, you can have a scenario where they're basically um, determining whether a, a business, a, an independent pharmacy uh, survives or doesn't. Um, and until now, the, that PBM could just remove a pharmacy from the network uh, without having any reason or providing any basis. Uh, in our proposed rules, we're suggesting that the PBM have to provide a reason, um, just a rational basis for making that decision. Um, so it's those kinds of um, basic fairness that we're trying to impose uh, with our proposed regulations. And after a quick break, we'll have more on new proposed state regulations governing pharmacy benefit managers with our guest, Eamon Rock, the Deputy Superintendent for Pharmacy Benefits at the State Department of Financial Services. business agency or service interested in delivering your message to more than two dozen radio stations statewide carrying Capital Press Room? If so, visit CapitalPressRoom.org to contact our underwriting team. For listeners just joining us, we're continuing our discussion about newly proposed state regulations governing the controversial pharmacy benefit managers in New York. And our guest is Eamon Rock, the Deputy Superintendent for Pharmacy Benefits at the State Department of Financial Services. Another area that you're looking to address stems from PBMs setting up uh, what might be considered a preferential treatment uh, for their own affiliated pharmacies. So what would these regulations do in those cases, and what could they mean for a company like Caremark, which is the country's largest uh, PBM and owned by CVS? Yeah, so I, I think it's, it's not just Caremark. There are a lot of uh, PBMs that have owned or affiliated pharmacies within uh, their corporate structures. In fact, all of the big three have uh, also have pharmacies in their in their corporate structures. Um, one of the ways that the regulation will address that kind of um, inherent conflict of interest is to say uh, that a PBM in providing information to consumers can't only provide information about its own pharmacies. You can imagine where if you had a PBM uh, who is directing uh, a flyer to be sent out to all uh, participants in a health plan, um, letting them know that there are uh, pharmacies nearby who can provide services to them, that if that uh, PBM owned a pharmacy network, that they would want to steer those people to uh, the, the pharmacies that they own. And so we wouldn't allow that under the proposed regulations. 
Another aspect of it is um, to make sure that you don't have a scenario where this steering is happening even more um, directly than just in the marketing space. But often what we'll see is a pharmacy leaving a network and, and a PBM sending out a notification to the participants in the plan that have used that pharmacy and telling them that there are that pharmacy will no longer be participating in the network and you need to go to a new pharmacy. Um, a lot of uh, what we've seen and what has been reported to us is that those sorts of notifications are, are often um, aimed at steering patients away from a pharmacy that's maybe in a contractual um, negotiation with that PBM rather than one that's actually leaving the network. And that those communications tend to highlight the affiliated pharmacies. Other aspects uh, of steering could involve either misrepresentations or confusing notifications about having to use mail order pharmacies, for example. And uh, those mail order pharmacies are almost inevitably owned uh, or within the same uh, corporate structure as the PBM who's sending them out. Well, you mentioned with regards to those abusive contracts, how PBMs in some places can be the only game in town. There's a real lack of any sort of competition. And when thinking about something like Caremark and the other uh, large PBMs operated by the big pharmacies, I'm curious how big of a concern the even narrowing of the field moving forward is for you. How concerned are you about even less competition as a result of mergers or acquisitions? And what, if anything, can the state do on that front? Yeah, that's a great question. So we definitely are uh, concerned with integration in this area, you know, both vertical and horizontal. One of the things that we have in the insurance space is where there are transactions where someone is uh, seeking to gain ownership. And that's not, you know, necessarily just majority ownership. That is uh, something where the um, entity who's acquiring an ownership stake in an insurance company owns, say, 10% or more. They have the ability to control the affairs through their voting power. Um, those transactions have to be approved by the superintendent. Um, outside of, before our regulation, there's no such requirement on PBMs, even though they're operating very much in the same space. Um, so what we uh, propose in, in the regulation is to provide um, department approval, uh, if there is going to be an acquisition that will uh, provide control of a PBM that's licensed in New York. Um, this is definitely just the first step in terms of our monitoring the situation with integration in this market. And, uh, you know, we will continue to uh, monitor, well, again, both vertical and horizontal uh, integration and, and take appropriate steps to ensure a competitive PBM market. I'll just highlight again that while the big three PBMs are probably the most well-known, we do have 67 PBMs who are registered in New York. So um, fostering that competition in uh, the market is something that we are, are certainly interested in doing. Well, given the number of PBMs in this marketplace, as well as just the vast number of pharmacy transactions that might happen on a daily basis. How do you go about enforcing these regulations, assuming they take effect? Are you going to need consumers to be 
cognizant of, of what's happening here so that they can report issues to you so you can investigate them? Does the department have the capacity to be proactive? How do you envision keeping all these balls in the air and, and keeping an eye on them? Yeah, that's a really great question. So first of all, you know, directly to your point about consumers, consumers are always welcome to reach out to us. We do as much outreach as we can with uh, particular consumers. The unfortunate reality is that until a consumer has a really bad experience at a pharmacy counter with uh, a claim, they often aren't aware of their PBM. I'd encourage all the consumers to take a look and understand who their PBM is, what their um you know, opportunities are to interact with pharmacies um, in terms of network and formulary design. If a consumer has any questions about a PBM um, or any complaint, we would encourage them to reach out to us. Um, we have an email address specifically for PBM issues. It's pbm at dfs.my.gov. We are going to be available to uh, speak to any consumers who have questions about PBMs or the other thing uh, the other hat that I wear is uh, in terms of drug pricing and drug manufacturer uh, price increases. Um, and we'll be at the state fair this year uh, at, at a booth there with the department uh, in order to talk to any consumers who have questions. Getting to your question more broadly, however, what can we do as the department to ensure compliance? Um, there's a few different ways that we handle that. One is the investigation of complaints. Those are usually acute issues uh, for a particular consumer or pharmacy. We have the ability to investigate those complaints. Our proposed rules will give us even more uh, structure around how those complaints will be handled in a quick uh, manner. Um, in addition to that, we have authority in the bill uh, to conduct examinations. This is not something that PBMs will be unfamiliar with because examinations are the key um, manner in which uh, insurance laws are enforced. The, the department uh, goes into an insurance company and, and you know, does a, a full audit um, to make sure that there's compliance with insurance law requirements. PBMs is the same situation. We have authority to conduct those examinations, and we're beginning to conduct those examinations today, um, as we do have authority even now uh, to conduct uh, examinations on site, you know, asking questions, um, and also uh, via what we call special reports, where we require PBMs to um, provide us with information. So we have proactive means, we have uh, reactive means. Um, we are definitely empowered to uh, take the appropriate action. That's the benefit of having uh, an entity like the department uh, set up as a supervisor of the industry. We don't have to uh, always be reactive. We can be proactive, um, but at the same time have appropriate uh, authority so that when we are reactive, we can be reactive both quickly and effectively. Do you think these regulations will discourage PBMs from operating in New York? And if it does discourage them, is that a good thing or a bad thing? New York is too important of a market to discourage uh, PBMs from operating in. What we are hoping these the, the regs are designed to discourage PBMs from operating in unfair ways, from operating in abusive ways. And so we very much think it will discourage PBMs from operating in abusive manners. But at the same time, we will continue to encourage the industry to grow here in the state and grow in a fair way that is protective of, uh, you know, the pharmacy industry, that's protective of consumers, uh, that ensures, you know, health insurance premiums are not uh, impacted.
In a press release announcing the regulations, the superintendent makes the case that the existing unfair practices have fueled uh, a dramatic increase in drug prices over the years. So assuming these regulations take effect, does that mean drug prices will stop going up in in the future, that we're going to see a leveling out of what consumers are paying for their prescription drugs? This is why DFF got involved in in the PBM space. Um, What we have you know, experienced uh, as the regulator of health insurance is that the prescription benefit is the number one driver of premium increases year over year. And PBMs play a role in driving those costs up. Um, And so addressing that will certainly, in our view, address um, the impact of prescription drug price benefits on health insurance premiums. PBMs uh, and regulating PBMs is not the only area that we are concentrating on when it comes to drug pricing. For example, as I mentioned before, we have existing authority that we've had since 2020 to investigate significant spikes in the price of drugs. So anyone who sees uh, a, a drug price spike is encouraged to reach out to us. There's a form, easy form right on our website where a consumer can um, report of price increase. We're continuing to monitor uh, manufacturer price increases. And then, you know, even this year, Governor Hochul included in the state of the state and the budget additional proposals that would deal with other actors within the drug supply chain. That continues to be an important um, priority for us as well as to address not just one area of the drug supply chain, to, but to ensure adequate regulation of the entire supply chain so that we can work at bringing those prices down. You mentioned savings in terms of health insurance premiums. Is that where you would expect to see any cost savings or could there be cost savings, say, at the checkout counter for what people might be paying out of pocket? Or is that contingent on the plans that people might have? Yeah, that's exactly right. So the plans determine um, what the consumers will pay. We don't regulate, we as my bureau, the Pharmacy Benefits Bureau, don't regulate the plans, we regulate the PBMs. Um, but where it, you could also see the impacts in addition to health insurance premiums uh, is also in terms of stopping the kind of um, disappearance of the local pharmacy. A lot of those local pharmacies where people have for generations gotten their drugs are disappearing across the state. And it's because uh, they can't, they simply can't compete with the abusive practices and the advantages that PBMs are providing to their own affiliated pharmacies. And so it is our hope that we will, you know, that those pharmacies will begin to see some uh, improvement in their ability to uh, continue to operate across the state. And hopefully we'll see some growth in that area as well. Well, we've been speaking with Eamon Rock. He is the Deputy Superintendent for Pharmacy Benefits at the State Department of Financial Services. Eamon, thank you so much for making the time and also for making all of this uh, understandable. Really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate you taking the time to to go through it. Happy to uh, speak to you today.
Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information. Join us again for Capitol Press Room, a production of WCNY Connected, Syracuse.